Turn to the Bible now, if you'd uh, uh, like to follow the reading. It's from Mark's Gospel. And uh, over the summer, uh, Edward and I embarked on what we called our summer series, The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And um, thank you to everyone who encouraged us to keep going. You know who you are. So we're going to keep going with the hard sayings of Jesus. And uh, I don't know if you know that um, there's a sort of game show that if you show a picture, you have to guess what the saying is. What's that called? Catchphrase. Okay, I've just got one for you now. Just shout it out if you, if you know what it means. Ooh. The shortest straw, yeah, that's part of it. What's the pencil mean? Draw the short straw. Oh, you'd not be good at all. <laughs> so, um, this is just to, to say that Edward and I had avoided this particular one for a little while. And it has fallen to me. So, there we go. Mark Chapter 10, and reading uh, from verse 1 to 12. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Should we pray? Father God, we thank you for the Bible and we recognize it is your word to us. We thank you for its encouragement. We thank you for its blessing. We thank you for its challenge to us. And we just ask for your help as we spend some time thinking about this passage and this hard saying of Jesus. Give us ears to hear what you would have us hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the snappy title for this talk is Divorce, Remarriage and Adultery. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is another of the hard sayings of Jesus, just as challenging in our day as it was when Jesus first said it. Now, rather than being offended by Jesus, when we hear the hard sayings of Jesus, it's a challenge for us to think deeper about what and why he has said what he has said. And also to keep in perspective 
Jesus' whole life and whole ministry and whole purpose. Now, we live in a, quite a particular culture, but if any of us thinks that we live in a uniquely throwaway culture, we need to think again. Yes, in the UK, 45% of marriages end in divorce. That's just what's happening in our culture. Marriage is one of those disposable items. For anyone who thinks that we live in a uniquely sex-obsessed culture, needs to think again. Because actually in the culture where Jesus was, it was very, very similar. So to understand what Jesus is saying and why he says it, we need to understand a little of the context, the culture of Jesus' day and his times. Bearing in mind that the question that Jesus is asked is a trap. Okay? The Pharisees are not interested in actually what Jesus is saying. They are not interested in following Jesus, but they ask him this question to try and catch him out. The question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? In Matthew's gospel, the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So Jesus is asked his opinion on a point of Old Testament law. Jesus' reply to the Pharisees is, what does the law say? And the religious leaders quote from Deuteronomy 24, where Moses says, if a woman displeases her husband because he finds something objectionable about her, he can divorce her and send her away. And over time and over the centuries, from the time of Moses, people had lowered the barriers so that almost anything, any excuse, any accusation could be used to justify divorce. Women were at the mercy of that system. A woman at that time was regarded as property with no rights, no defense. Only the husband could initiate divorce. So there was little or no protection for women. And divorce, like widowhood, would have left a woman particularly vulnerable, with a precarious future at best. So to summarize, the Jewish culture known to Jesus recognized divorce as a legitimate course of action for men. But no consensus existed concerning the appropriate grounds for divorce. And different rabbis would have different opinions about that. Going back to the question, why is it a trap to catch Jesus? Perhaps they thought that this was one of the ways to get Jesus into trouble. 
Or more than that, to get Jesus executed. Why would I say that? Because his cousin, John the Baptist, had taken a really strong line with Herod, the king. In AD 23, Herod began an adulterous affair with his brother's wife. He divorced his own wife, married his brother's wife. And then on his birthday, he directed his lust towards his 14-year-old stepdaughter who had danced for him on his birthday. And in the sort of moment, he said, I'll give you anything you want. And in conversation with her mother, the daughter says, what I want is the head of John the Baptist on a plate. And Herod, in front of all his friends, cannot back down. So he has John the Baptist executed. That's part of the background to this question that seeks to trap Jesus. On a wider basis, the context of the culture, we we know that our culture is kind of immersed in sexuality. It's everywhere. But the Roman culture was very sexualized. The Roman emperor Tiberius was infamous for his debauchery, his orgies, rapes, paedophilia. And the Greek culture, very similar. It had double standards, though it demanded fidelity for wives, but not for husbands. Even in some of the Greek temples, they would use prostitutes, male and female, in their rituals. There was a ritualized sex industry. That is the context into which Jesus speaks. And Jesus doesn't just answer the question. He actually points them back to God's original intention, his original design. What was his perfect will? He even says to them, Moses gave you that command because you were sinful. Your hearts were hard. Moses didn't give you that command because it was good from God. It was because you had drifted away from God's plans. In some ways, Jesus is saying what what Moses gave in Deuteronomy was a concession for their failure to live up to God's plans. But he points to them to the creative design of God, the maker's instructions, the first principles. God instituted marriage. It wasn't man's idea. And he says that there is no provision for dissolving that union in God's perfect plan. He says a man will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. God made us male and female in his image. He made us sexual beings who can unite physically and spiritually and within that Context, 
Sexual union is to be celebrated to bring comfort and joy and unity and expression of love. And you can tell it was a hard saying because if you read what the disciples' reaction was, Because they later asked Jesus about him. Because when Jesus says anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery and the same the other way around. They say, who can live up to this? It's better not to marry. In this passage and in this hard saying, Jesus is affirming the sanctity and integrity of marriage as a divine gift. We say it in our marriage services, it's not something to be entered lightly. So why such a seemingly hard line, particularly on remarriage? Could it be that Jesus' overriding concern was for the abuse of women? Could it be that he is addressing the all-too-casual treatment of marriage within that society? Is it that he's saying he is recovering the sanctity of marriage? And that his heart cries out for the shipwrecked lives? But whatever Jesus' motive, he speaks God's intention, God's plan, God's ideal, God's perfect plan. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes a concession in one way for those who suffer from unfaithfulness from a partner. So why the hard line? As we read this passage and the words of Jesus, did it catch your attention? What effect did it have on you when you hear what Jesus says. Those who divorce and remarry commit adultery. Does it jar with you? So many of the hard sayings of Jesus. He says that we might. Give him our attention. And think it through. When Jesus says, if anyone looks lustfully at someone, they commit adultery, does it catch your attention? See, the Pharisees had even wangled their way around this thing called adultery. They'd say, well, adultery is if you sleep with another man's wife. Which meant you were okay to sleep with anyone else who wasn't another man's wife. Jesus says, actually, if you look lustfully at someone else, you commit adultery in your heart. It's another of the hard sayings of Jesus. All of us know the pain, the heartbreak of broken relationships. If we have not experienced it ourselves, we know about it in our families and our friends. We know that Immorality, infidelity, physical abuse, emotional or mental abuse, and severe incompatibility can make life or marriage 
so, so difficult. As someone I was reading in one of the commentaries said, if marriage is made in heaven, why are some lived in hell? I do remember as a very young minister uh, in a previous church. Finding myself recommending and encouraging someone to divorce their husband. I didn't think I'd ever do that. Elsewhere in the Old Testament it says God hates divorce. And he hates it because of all the damage that it does. And the brokenness that it brings in people's lives. This person was in an abusive relationship. Does God want me to stay married? To the point that when this man made love to his wife, he would choose that moment to blaspheme Jesus. No, God doesn't want you to stay in that. That is not a marriage. That is an abusive relationship. This lady in question was divorced and found new life. Served on the mission field and became called into ministry. We have to hold the whole of Jesus' ministry together. Jesus is not wanting any of us here, even this morning, to feel condemned. That's not his plan or his purpose for any of us. He is not judgmental about our failure. He is forgiving and good, as we read right at the beginning of our time together. But what Jesus is saying, this is God's best. It always was. It always is. It always will be God's best. And sin, in whatever shape or form, is falling short of the glory of God. We look at Jesus and we have to look at his wider ministry lest we turn him into a legalist, which he is not. What was the Old Testament punishment for adultery? Stoning, death. Remember in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees bring to Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Notice they don't bring the man. He's not there to be seen. And they say, this woman has been caught in adultery. The law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? It's another trap. And I love Jesus. I love him for so many things. But what I love partly about him is his wisdom and grace. 
Who could reply like this when he says, okay, if any of you are without sin, you pick up the stone and you can be the first to throw it at her. Isn't that just brilliant? And one by one, it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they disappear. All the stones have been dropped. And he turns to the woman, he says, who's left to condemn you? And she says, no one. And what does Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and live a new life. Go and be free. Come follow me. Leave that old life. There is something better. John chapter 4. Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. He, He knows everything about her. And in that discourse, he says, yes, you've been married to five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Does he condemn her? No. He offers her living water. Which he offers to all of us, living water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus was once invited to dine out at a Pharisee's house, often was. And then a woman was there of ill reputation, a sinner who bathed his feet with her tears. And they were all looking around and saying, doesn't he know who she is? Doesn't he know what she's done? What a kind of a person that she is. Jesus knew exactly who she was. A precious daughter of the living God. And he rebukes those who were pointing out her sin, saying, you didn't even wash my feet when I came. Jesus came to rescue a world broken, lost, sinful. Jesus never once condoned sin. Never once. Never once did he say, oh, that's okay. No, he didn't. Yet he was still known as a friend of sinners. And sometimes this is where the church of Jesus Christ needs to look more like Jesus because, yeah, no, we don't compromise. Of course we don't. But sometimes we can appear judgmental in that. And Jesus had this amazing ability to never compromise on sin, but be loved by those who regarded themselves as lost and broken and who by some would have been rejected, by some would have been judged, by some would have been kept on the outside. And Jesus says, no, there is something better.
Jesus is defending God's honor and his perfect plan, recognizing that we fail. And he says these words to challenge us in our disposable culture. To challenge us that there is a better way. To challenge us that he can help us. He holds up God's best for us all. He founded a church on saved, forgiven sinners. Like you and me. None of us can pick up a stone. If you ever find yourself picking up a stone. Metaphorically. To throw at somebody else. Do not do it. Yeah we stand for God's truth. And righteousness and justice. And his perfect plan for us. Of course we do. But Jesus didn't say these things to condemn anyone. He says them to say, come, follow me. If you've been through that painful experience, I hope this morning hasn't left you feeling condemned. But Jesus saying, I love you. I died for you. I have given you a new life. Come, follow me. And in the brokenness and in the pain of it all, he will be at work. Shall we pray?